Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Tamara Pau, founding attorney with Strategy Law. Tamara, how are you today? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me, LA. Thanks for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you on because you do a lot of work with attorneys who are looking to either create partnership agreements or modify partnership agreements. So this is going to be a packed episode full of really good information for those attorneys that are looking to do that. And what are what is one of like the the key issues that you see a lot of attorneys or a key mistake I should say that you see a lot of attorneys make when they're thinking about doing or doing a partnership agreement? Well, I think the biggest mistake is having a partnership agreement that only works for today because partnerships are fluid. They change over time. And if you don't leave some flexibility in there to change in the future, uh, you end up getting a partnership agreement that's out of date. And most of us are just frankly too busy to go back and focus on redoing our partnership agreement when we're busy running our firms and doing the work for our clients. And so when you're meeting with, uh, with let's say, two attorneys who are looking to go into partnership together, what does that process typically look like that you take them through? So we start by talking about what they think this firm is going to look like a year from now, and then maybe five years from now, to get a feel for, are we just building an agreement for these two people sitting in my office, or are we building a firm that's going to grow? and add additional partners or at least additional associates that are eventually going to want a path to partnership at some point. And then we go through all of the basics, you know, um, getting into the partnership, funding it, uh, getting out of the partnership. What happens if someone wants to leave or there's a dispute? Management. How are you going to decide on major decisions? What are major decisions or what can one partner do on their own? Um, and then really what turns out to be, frankly, one of the most important issues is how are you going to split the money that you make? And is that going to be based on a formula? Is that going to be based on individual efforts? Or, you know, what I call the biggest mistake, which is, oh, we're just going to share everything evenly because this is like a marriage. Um, and I find those partnerships are the ones that either fail very quickly or need to be rewritten very quickly because, invariably somebody starts getting upset that they feel like they're putting more effort in than the share they're taking home. And so in those situations where you see that, where they may come to you and they may say, all right, well, we just want to split it all equally. It's a red flag for you. And how do you go about walking them through maybe rethinking that decision? Yeah. So many years ago, over 20 years ago, I met with these two attorneys who were leaving a firm together going out to form their own law firm. And they came to me and said they wanted this to be really simple, 50-50 partnership. All they need is for me to set it up with the state bar and do the basics. And I recommended against that. And I told them, look, you know, there's a lot of reasons why 50-50 can create problems as opposed to making things easier. And one of them looked at me and said, Samara, she is godmother to my kids. We've been best friends. We've worked together for eight years. Thank you. We appreciate your advice, but we don't need it. Simple 50-50. And literally in less than a year, they were suing each other. 
And it was the worst because I felt like if they had only stopped to build in some flexibility, uh, that a lot of that could have been prevented. But in the end, one of them came back to me and said, you know, you told us this was going to be like a marriage, but you never told me I'd have a duty to support. And that's essentially what happened is one of them ended up getting a huge contingency fee and didn't want to share it with the other person who was working for small hourly fees. And in the end, that actually, in that case, it was a good result, right? They got a lot of money, but it ended up breaking up the firm. Yeah, and probably their personal relationship as a result as well. Wow. Absolutely. And so one question I commonly get, and usually when I get this question, by the way, for all you attorney entrepreneurs that are listening, I refer them straight to Tamara. So work with her for a long time. She does amazing work with attorneys. Um, but one of the questions I usually get is, so what do other firms do in terms of sharing the profits? Isn't there some sort of a standard model that other firms follow? Is that a question you get? Yeah, all the time. There is no one model. That's actually why I love working with lawyers and partnerships because we're creative people and we know how to draft. So we end up doing these comprehensive agreements that work for our individual firms. And I've never seen two law firm agreements that are identical. Um, it can be anywhere from the the spectrum of we share everything equally to the, uh, you know, just eat what you kill, you get a percentage of what you bring in, you pay your own expenses, really more of an office sharing model, or anywhere in between. And those are just the formulas for sharing the money. But there's also all sorts of different types of agreements for sharing the management. And there's usually an overlap there. Because sometimes sharing the management means we have a management committee that designates a compensation committee for a big firm that helps determine how the money is split. So I can see or I can envision the attorney entrepreneurs that are listening just going, oh my God, this sounds incredibly complicated. You know, one of the things that you do really well is you ride that fine balance between you know having an agreement that's complex, but not overly complex. So it's going to address most of the issues that the partners might have, yet it's still workable and they can live with it and they can use it on a, you know, a monthly or quarterly and annual basis. What are some of the key considerations that, that you look at when you're trying to figure out how to address all their issues, but to do it in a way so that the partnership agreement isn't overly complicated and difficult to use. It really goes back to their back office and how much reporting they're doing. So for example, I can come up with a great formula that seems really fair for how to split the money, but if they're not accurately doing the intake reporting and the management of the client and matters that come in and the collections that come in so that they can track who's responsible for each matter or who's um, billing the hours or who originated that client, then you know the formulas are useless. So it's really a, a matter of sitting down and thinking about how much they want to track and maybe they just need help with that versus would they really just prefer simplicity and rough justice? So that they're not nickel and diming with their partners over, you know, whether somebody uses more minutes on a cell phone bill one month. Sure. And I'm chuckling, but yet I've sat in on very similar conversations around those kinds of things. And I'm sure you have as well. Um, let's shift gears a little bit to bringing new partners into the firm. I know this is something that a lot of my clients run into as they're looking to, as they're growing and expanding, they're looking to bring in that first partner, uh, but it's a junior partner. Um, 
and want to hear about you know what your thoughts are around. And we're talking about actually. Let me take let me take a step back and paint a picture. That might be more useful. Um, maybe let's talk about a solo attorney who is growing and they want to bring in someone who's more junior to them so that this person can take over the practice down the road. Um, when they're doing that, there's a lot of different ways they can bring them into the partnership. What are some of the typical models that you see out there? Well, first, I would caution anyone that if you are adding a second partner to your firm, you need to think about that very carefully. And you need to make sure that you have a way out if it doesn't work. Tell me more about that. Well, we can build triggering events into the partnership agreement, where if you are sole owner of a firm and you agree to bring somebody else in and it's not working, you should have the right to say this isn't working. Give them a fair amount of compensation to go away so that you can go back to what you had before. Um, That doesn't work if you're an LLP, by the way, and you need two partners. So you might consider doing this as a, a law corporation instead something to keep in mind. Um, But generally, you can build triggering events into your partnership agreement that say not just the extreme things, like if you get disbarred or if you're, uh, you know, on the front page of the paper for committing a felony, I can get you out of my firm. But also just if I can't work with you anymore, if it's not reasonable to stay in business together, I can trigger a buyout and you you get paid fairly, but you go away. And so we can both go forward doing our own thing. So that's really important to think about up front. And then second, you may not want to bring them in right away as a full equity partner. You can bring someone in as a non-equity partner or as a non-voting partner or as a minority partner so that you have retained the control you need to not give up the law firm that you started until this person has really proven themselves to be worthwhile as a partner. Yeah, bringing someone in as a partner does not mean they're being brought in as as an equal partner. And to your point, they may not have equity at all. Um, Love those different kinds of models that you laid out there. That's really cool. And then as the firm, as a person, let's say, grows in the firm, we talked about this. uh, You and I just chatted about it. There's this idea about buy-in and buy-out. And I found that conversation with you to be really helpful for me. And our audience may appreciate this too. So... Um, recap for us real quick, this concept of buying in high or low and how that impacts the buyout down the road. Yeah. So the buy-in price also affects whether somebody wants to be your partner and whether they have that money or whether you're going to loan it to them is also a key consideration. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with saying this person wants to come in and be my partner. I think they will really add value to the firm. So I will loan them the money to make the capital contribution Knowing that if it's not working out, they will go away and you will essentially apply that loan to what you owe them. So in that case, it's very important that the formula for when they leave has some reasonableness compared to the formula for when they come in. So you have to be very careful about saying it's just half the cash in the bank or uh, even worse, uh, subject to an appraisal. Because law firms can be appraised for almost nothing because they have very little going concern value, or they can be appraised for a lot if they have a lot of receivables and uh, other work in progress that you don't want to land up paying out your partner if that partner doesn't, hasn't earned that increase in value. 
So it's good to make sure the buyout formula makes sense. For example, you get your money back, plus you get a share of whatever work in progress or accounts receivable are pending that you would have gotten if you stayed here as a partner. So we're not going to take away something that you've earned, but you're not going to get anything more for you know an increase in value of the firm just because you were here for a couple of years. Because when you leave, I'm right back to where I was initially. And so you want to make sure that you're paying them fairly, but not overpaying them, and that you have terms. In other words, a number of months or years and a decent interest rate to be able to pay them over time so that it doesn't hurt you too much cash flow-wise or even create a bankruptcy because you can't afford to pay somebody who's decided to leave. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Tamara. I'm going to shift gears yet for a third time and talk maybe a little bit about some of the roles that you've seen as you're seeing these partnerships coming together. Because typically what I've seen is one partner is more skilled at bringing in clients uh, than the other. And I'm not talking about legal skill beyond that. It's just one partner seems to have a better knack of bringing in cases than the other. Everything else, I've seen it kind of go both ways. But in that case, I can see it kind of really messing with um, how those partners get compensated. Because if you've got one partner that's originating most of the work, um, they may get a share of the profits that are basically make the other partner lose interest in the partnership. Um, and so when you see the situations where one partner is really more of the rainmaker than the other, and what are some of the things that you uh, take your clients through to kind of work through that? Yeah, we start by thinking about the fact that in any law firm, really, you have to wear three different hats. There's the lawyering hat, which most of us can do well, but you can also hire good lawyers to do that for you. There is the sales hat, which is bringing in the business, the origination. Not everybody who's good at lawyering is good at sales. And then there's a third category, which is the management hat. And that's a completely different role, again, from being able to bring in the business. Somebody has to manage the firm, put the firm first, manage the people, hire the staff, or at least supervise an executive director who's doing that. And so you do need to put a value on all three of those. And you need to make sure that you're using all of the people in the firm for their strengths. If somebody's really good at lawyering and they're willing to put in the hours and keep the clients happy, but they're really bad at sales, you should pay them for their lawyering and have the other person who's good at sales bring in the business. And usually that's worked out in the percentage that the origination partner would get for bringing in the client and the percentage that the responsible partner would get for doing the work or overseeing the associates that are doing the work. And they're both very valuable. But what percentage you apply to those really depends on where the needs lie for the firm. Awesome. Really cool. And so Tamara, I know this is an area of your practice that has grown significantly over the past couple of years or so. Um, What are you excited about over the next year, year and a half with regards to strategy law in your practice? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm living what I'm breathing and uh, teaching is my firm is growing and it's great. We're working with some great attorneys who are considering joining us. And uh, my most exciting uh, plan for the next couple of years is to really not just add single attorneys, but try to add some small firms of good people together so that we can all have enough 
support that we can, you know, preach what you preach, which is being able to take vacations and have someone else in the office take care of the clients and know that we're backing each other up. And that that there's real strength in numbers, as well as a transition plan that eventually the attorneys that are in their 50s are going to be in their 60s and 70s. And we need the attorneys in their 20s and 30s to be ready to step up and take over. And so that whole transition plan is really what my focus is for my firm right now. And we've got some great firms that we're talking to about joining forces. And that's really exciting to me. That is exciting tomorrow. Very cool. And if people want to reach out to you and learn more about strategy law or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, yeah, look on our website, strategylaw.com, and you can reach out. We've got phone numbers and emails there, uh, or you can always find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. So attorney entrepreneurs, when you're taking tomorrow's advice and figuring out ways to bring in attorneys, uh, that can be time-consuming. Um, it can take up a lot of time to talk to potential candidates for partnership, potential firms for partnership. And at some point, you just run out of time. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about, of course, get staffed up. They provide virtual assistant services to help you offload some of your other tasks so that you can focus on the more important things like thinking about where you want to take your firm or what that partnership agreement looks like um, or who would be a great partner or great firm to bring in and, and combine with yours. So Get Staffed Up is a terrific sponsor of this show. Um, they've placed hundreds of admin assistants with firms across the country. They're created by lawyers for lawyers. And so they can actually make this whole model work for you and your firm. If you're interested, um, you can go to getstaffedup.com forward slash lawyer business advantage, and you'll get $500 off your setup fee. Tamara, thank you so much for being on the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast today. It's always a pleasure to chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me, LA. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice. <music>